From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serra. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Dr. Andrew Silverman stays with us this hour discussing the Shroud of Turin and its connection to near-death experiences and quantum theory. His new book is A Burst of Conscious Light. Dr. Silverman, before the uh, the break at the top of the hour, we were talking about time being the product of the mind. Therefore, the mind must exist outside time, and therefore, the mind is eternal. So, uh, what does this all have to do with the image on the Shroud of Turin? Well, that's, a, again, another very good question. This professor of physics that some of your listeners may be familiar with called Professor David Bohm, who lived originally in the US and then he, he resided in the UK for a while. Now, he was once asked, why do you think it is that the idea of light figures so strongly in the notions of spirituality or, or mysticism? And he made the point that for light or anything that is at the speed of light and therefore uh, to uh, to be at the speed of light means you have no mass, no, no rest mass, as it said, then the start and finish of a journey, if you like, are the same point to a beam of light, that the Einstein's relativity shows that at the speed of light, there is no, if you're traveling at the speed of light, there's no distance and there's no duration. So if you like, the clocks don't tick. If they, if they were, could move at the speed of light, a physical clock, of course, can't move at the speed of light because nothing with mass can do so. So light basically is, if you like, the interface between the state beyond, or if you want to use the word before, before is not a perfect word, but, but beyond space and time, beyond the physical universe where there's no space or time, then light could be seen as the interface between the two states of being because it does join up all the points together just as it so it joins up all the points of space and time and also it could be seen to represent what joins us all as individual sentient beings which would fit with the near-death experience experiences saying that that they see this this light and in that light is perfect knowledge perfect wisdom and complete love they feel cared for by that light and as though all being is is within that light now basically what that reflects is how one can achieve a state that's beyond time so they see the light but they don't become the light that's that's why they come back and so um, perhaps through what he taught and be living according to what he taught the the man of the shroud was actually able to to do something very interesting which basically david bohm in that talk i was mentioning where he spoke about about light he said that matter is frozen light that basically that when light is is made to to take on a a, a location then it becomes it becomes matter so perhaps what happens is that 
light becomes frozen as a result of us taking on separate existence as, as individuals and we're separated by our restrictions, by selfishness, by prejudice, by racism, nationalism, materialism. Ah, anything that's interesting. That, that, anything that, that, that sounds that, like the, the Christian notion of sin because when you, when you sin, uh, you can look at that as Christians would look at that as being separated from the Godhead. Well, I mean, basically, I I think that the man of the shroud, Jesus of Nazareth, wasn't actually isn't doesn't belong to any of the. He's not owned, if you like, by any any of the traditions, any of the religious traditions. But in fact, when he was asked what what his purpose was, he said, "I'm here to." bear witness to the truth so i think yes in in all of the religions not just in 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 christianity um but in in all of the religions and many of them actually do um you know recognize his his wisdom that that there is this notion that that by by becoming limited and restricted we're we're dividing ourselves away from from the godhead or or the buddhists would say from our for example uh we're we're separating ourselves from our true buddha nature now jesus is reported to have said is it not written in the law that you are gods so he's saying that to 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 humanity and uh, and he referred to himself as the as the son of man and but he what he was referring to as as the father as uh, for want of a better word some people may call this the phenomenon phenomenon god well he said that that was all he referred to this state of being as our father also so he was always saying what that and he said Anything that you see me do, you can also do. If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could make that mountain move. He was always demonstrating the power of all humanity. He wasn't, I believe, trying to set himself up as being something unattainable that was just showing us how something that we could never achieve. Yes, he was showing that we have taken on restriction. And a fascinating example is that... I, I suggest in the book that the undoing of the restriction that that he did maybe what made his actual as as the atoms in their tension become undone the twistiness is reduced if you like then they become lighter that's how he was able to walk on the water but Peter also is said to have walked on the water and then in a moment of doubt he started to sink now that is giving us a clue I believe that it's actually that we are like uh, a lens or a, a faucet, if you like, like or in, in the UK we call it a tap, that um, allows or disallows that this this light or this this freedom, this lack of enforcement, or what Jesus referred to as his peace, that we allow or disallow that into us as a result of how our mind is is directed, whether it's to separate through selfishness or to be completely empathic and loving to to unite and in such a way to be able to undo the force that limits us restricts us divides us and makes this physical universe that that rots away do you have a an idea though the actual process that that led to the the, the light emanating from his dead body well again the uh, very good question i 
believe of course this is going to be this is going to be speculation i'm making a, a suggestion for people to to consider that i believe makes sense to me but i'm always you know waiting to hear what what other people say once they once they've read it but basically i make the point that there's a continuum if you like in in terms of causation that that free will is what I call primary causation because if you make this, you make a decision, nothing makes you make the decision that you you didn't have to make it. There are influences that make you more likely to make it, but if it's free, if you could have chosen something different, then ultimately your choice is a, what I call a primary cause. Whereas enforcement, force, like you you kick the ball and the ball moves, that's secondary cause. So that's because of force. So and will exists. Where, where nothing forces it to happen. So what I suggest is that there is, uh, on one end of the spectrum, there is complete peace and freedom, and on the other end, there is complete enforcement. And basically, force is, is limit, it's, it's restriction, and what he did is he undid that force by becoming freer, by not limiting his himself to that point of individuality, his unique individuality. He was always looking out, altruistic, empathetic towards all of his fellow man and living according to that outlook on life, which meant that he, in not being restricted and not being limited, he was taking on a much broader scope, which was less enforced, bearing in mind that the, the force is a result of our, our choice to separate. You can imagine it like a like a spring, that, that you move the two ends of the spring further apart and you get more tension. But after, as you let them come closer together, there's less tension, less less enforcement. And it was through that unenforcing process that the peace, if you like, that the atoms began, began to unwind. And, I mean, I, I go into it in more detail in the book, but... The, there's a fascinating thing that um, is that he that he said, which I believe may relate to the moment that the shroud image formed regarding the the burst of lightning going from the east to the west, because that appears to to me to be how his his body would have been oriented. You see, the the light didn't go in in all directions; it went projected in the straight line forwards and and backwards from what we anatomically would call the coronal plane of the body that goes goes straight through the body so if he was upright uh, the body was upright at the moment the image formed then there was a burst of light that went forwards and backwards but the it appears that the 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 shroud was suspended over the top of his head but there's no image of the top of his head and there's no image of the of the side parts of the body. Interestingly, I, I mentioned earlier that I was going to talk about how the, the blood stains and the image don't completely tie up. And for example, the blood stains around the, from the face, some of those are, are projected over the image of the, of the hair which implies that at the moment that the bloodstains formed, the shroud was draped over the body, but it's as though the shroud was flattened at the moment that the, the image formed when the, the, the body was upright. And you can see uh, what's known as the off-elbow bloodstain, that there's a stain sort of away, a little bit away from his elbow, but which would have corresponded with how the cloth would have been folded over his elbow when the, the dead body had been had been laid out flat, but then it's 
it straightened out when the when the image formed and the body was vertical. Right. Um, why ultraviolet light? Why not gamma rays? Why not some other form of radiation? Well, uh, again, that's a, a very good question, uh, and um, I, I don't actually don't actually know the the reason why it would have been. Uh, that particular light, but it just seems again now we are I am going to the empirical um, evidence because that 's what that suggests that that it was ultraviolet light that that formed the image um, and in fact it's it 's fortunate for us that it was because had it been anything else then the the image wouldn 't have been there in all its detail that tells us so much about the about the man because x-rays would have probably just gone straight through the the cloth now staying with the theme of light uh, every uh, Easter uh, I'm, I'm an Orthodox uh, Christian Greek Orthodox Christian mm-hmm. and um, the uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre it is said that uh, on uh, the morning of the what would have been the resurrection uh, there is a, uh, a candle that lights spontaneously Inside the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, uh, in Jerusalem. And then this, this light, uh, is taken by, I guess it would be the, uh, the, uh, the Archbishop there, and it is passed around, and, and one candle lights another, and then those candles eventually, they make their way across to, well, all the corners of the earth, and then in, when I go to, um, the, uh, the resurrection service, uh-huh. Uh, they they pass around that light, and we all light our candles, and it all uh-huh. emanates from that spontaneous light that is said not to burn. Uh, the, the, you know, the bishop will put his put his hand through the flame; it will not burn, but it lights spontaneously. Do you think that's uh-huh. coming from the same place, or could it be could it be related to this um, event, resurrection event? Uh- Unfortunately, I'm not really able to, to, to comment about that particular event, not having, uh, studied the, any, any scientific research, um, upon it. So I, I can't really, uh, not really in a position to, to speculate, uh, what, what causes it. Whereas the, the, the shroud image, as you mentioned earlier, is probably of all historical artifacts has been one of the most studied of all. And so it's based on that. When I, when I talk about things and objects then, uh, and, and physical, uh, phenomena, then I like to, to, to base that on, on empirical research that has been done on them. So I, you know, I'd be interested to know about empirical research that's done on this, um, on, on, on this slide. But I suppose what, what probably matters is, is what it, what it means to those people who, who, uh, who experience it. Right, right. Uh, so you, you talk about light. Uh, someone had a theory that light was, um, frozen matter. Matter is frozen light. Matter yeah. is frozen. Yes, matter is frozen light. Uh, so is that what we are? We're, we're, our, I mean, our physical bodies, we are the sort of the interruption of this, this transmission of light? Our, I would say yes that the the matter of our bodies is is frozen light, but we are of as as sentient beings with with awareness and with with free will we are of the light itself our our nature is of the light because the 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 body is is frozen light but that body dies, and we have evidence from the death experiences that the consciousness continues beyond that. So, so that's not us. That's just the, the shell that we're that we're in and that we leave behind. 
Right. So that leads us into a discussion of the near-death experience. Uh, but when, before we get to the near-death experience, the actual process of physical death, uh, it's been suggested that the, you know, the body weighs a little bit less, a few ounces or something at the moment of death. Uh, is this, do you think, evidence that, that consciousness is leaving the body or, or, you know, in the religious uh, context, we would call it the soul or the spirit leaving the body? Well, you know, I don't believe that, that, uh, consciousness has a weight. And, and in fact, I, um, I, uh, made this point to a very eminent, Physicist, uh, Professor Sir Herman Bondy, when he, he came to do, I mentioned this in, in the book, he came to do a, a, a public lecture at the university where I was studying medicine. Uh, and that because I was asking about whether light can be everywhere instantly all at once, if you like, all along its path because time isn't relevant for light. So I asked whether that would then mean if we could be like that as sentient beings, then could we be like light and beyond time and so on and and he said that uh well yes the equations do say that but you have to bear in mind that we have mass and nothing with mass can can einstein's equation e equals mc squared in fact shows us that that you can never actually get a material object up to the speed of light because its mass will approach infinity as as you get closer to the the speed of light so it's take an infinite amount of energy to get it there um but then i said to him but how do we know that for sure? Why do we assume that, that mind or thought has to be associated with a, with a physical body or that it has to have, how much does, does consciousness weigh? I asked him. And if, if there is such a thing as sentience without matter, as in fact, of course, subsequently to that, um, uh, and totally unconnected from it, um, Andre Linder has made the point that consciousness is fundamental and is not a product of matter. Um, so if, if he was, was right and if the earlier scientists like uh, Eugene Wigner made the point that consciousness is fundamental not from, from matter, then could it be that that we could also be like that and be be beyond time. And he said that his reply was that, yes, that would fit with the equations, but he didn't feel that this was a was a sort of path that was was interesting to 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 go down to 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 analyze he didn't consider it relevant because presumably of course i'm guessing what he was thinking but he 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 may have subscribed to the sort of materialist notion that that our minds are just a product of our brains but of course there's so much evidence that they're not in near-death experiences for example the brain waves can be completely flat while people are having their experience and the experience can involve what's known as a veridical experience where they can actually accurately describe things that they couldn't have known about. Even blind people who have had near-death experiences have seen things during their experience that they couldn't possibly have known about and then related it to to their doctors or, or other people afterwards. When uh, we're coming up on a break here, but uh, when the moment of physical death occurs, do you think that that consciousness part of it is within the body and and comes out of the body, or is it the other way around? Is the body inside the consciousness? Well, you see, my point is that location is is less relevant for for consciousness than it is for for material objects it doesn't have to be fixed to a 
defined point in space. Take an example, I often say to people as an, as an illustration of how the fact that they associate the consciousness with the brain because the brain is there when you are conscious as an awake physical living human being. Now, I make the point that if you take a radio and you switch it on and you hear your favorite song, do people really believe that the radio wrote the song or the radio is singing the song to them? Of course they don't. Now, if you damage or detune the radio, it won't play the song so clearly. You might just hear some noise, just like if you injure the brain, you don't hear the noise. But the song isn't in the radio. Just like when we turn on the TV and we see people on the screen, they're not in that screen. In the right. same sense, the body is, if you like, uh, is a receiver for consciousness. It doesn't make it. Strictly speaking, it doesn't even contain it. It's just we have this notion that our consciousness is somewhere in our heads, which I think is partly because our sense organs, like the eyes and the ears, are on the circumference of our, of our head. So it feels like the experience is somehow happening you know, behind our eyes and between our ears, but it's actually far more than that. i got to go. Uh, got to run. We'll uh, take another time out, come back, and uh, continue this uh, fascinating conversation. Dr. Andrew Silverman, my guest, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serry. Hey, if you enjoy The Conspiracy Show, you're going to love my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. New episodes drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can listen and subscribe at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. And it's now available on Spotify. Stephen Hawking once said that the unanticipated consequences of artificial intelligence will be the greatest threat to humanity's survival. In his book, A Burst of Conscious Light, Dr. Andrew Silverman reveals why the powerful consciousness of the human mind could never be manufactured and so cannot be reproduced with technology. Uh, Dr. Silverman, how do we get a copy of A Burst of Conscious Light? Well, it should be available in all in all major booksellers. You can uh, also you can order it um, from the, the the publishers in the traditions, or uh, from uh, Simon and Schuster, who are also distributing it. Uh, or you people can get it from from Amazon as well. So it's it's broadly available pretty much across the world, actually. And go- it's actually oh. today. Uh, well, I, the it's it's available from the 11th of February. Excellent. Uh, I want to talk about near-death experiences again, uh, or in some more in-depth. And uh, there are a certain number of characteristics that seem to be universal with the near-death experience. And one of them, of course, as you mentioned earlier, is people feeling uh, enveloped by this this warm, uh, unconditionally loving light. Mm. So that's is that the same light that that uh, you believe emanated from the, the body of, of Christ? Uh, I, I believe that, the, that when the, the body of, of Jesus of Nazareth was, was, was in the tomb, that there was, that, yes, there was a burst of light that came from it. I believe that the scientific evidence demonstrates this. And from 
sort of uh, an deduction and from induction bringing it all together uh, adduction as it were um, of all the of all the evidence that I believe that that yes that and I, I give the reasons why I think this is the case in in the book that that light is the is the same light that that people see in their in their near-death experiences that's why when people have a near-death experience when they have their life review which is instantly probably where the term seeing one's whole life flash before you comes from because that's been there you know for, for for a long time and people who have near-death experiences actually experience that but the interesting thing is that they experience it from the point of view of the other the other person so anything that they did that hurt someone else they feel it as though that hurt is within them anything when they were kind to someone else they feel as though that kindness is being done to themselves so what we see in the near-death experience is an unraveling of this apparent separation between between individual identity and we're seeing evidence that that fundamentally and and our root nature that that we're all one but yet we're divided by the things that we do that separate through selfishness and all the other things that I was mentioning earlier that 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 restrict us. So it's I don't think it's coincidence that the that the man whose image it appears was the, is on the shroud, the the one who was the, the the source of the light that made that that image that he spoke about so so much about you know loving your enemy, about forgiveness, loving your neighbour as yourself because within that light your neighbour is yourself if, if we're all one there. So all the evidence points to me, to makes me consider very strongly that the the light in the NDE and the light that, that formed the image are the same. And so who is the source of the light when, when an individual is having an NDE and they see that light? Who is the source of that light? Right. Good question. Well, there there is no... No, in a sense, no who to it, because the who that that we that we see in terms of individuals of names or identities is a, uh, a result, a consequence of the fragmentation into into separate identities. But the state that that we came from, if we had no uh, no beginning, it, uh, that we have uh, our separation has a beginning. But if we are beyond time and yet the universe began in time, then that light in which we are all one must be eternal. So it's still there now. And so in a sense, we are all the source of that light. But we're the source of that light in our, in our perfected state or our unimperfected state, if you like, in, where, in the state where we, we hadn't yet, in quotes, yet, made separation become separate if you like so in what i'm suggesting is that we are of that light but in making ourselves separate we don't diminish that light because by its very nature it's beyond time and it can't become less it it doesn't doesn't need to change but this is quite difficult to put this in a in a soundbite but but it is all sort of explained in far more detail in the book Right, and and why do some people see a light and uh, and have an NDE and others do not? Well, of course, the, we know that some people remember having an NDE or report having an NDE. In fact, uh, to eminent an eminent uh, cardiologist by the name of Pim Van Lommel, who incidentally was kind enough to write a very nice uh, comment about my book, which is on the the sleeve. He did a 
study of, uh, and it was published in a, a prestigious uh, British medical journal called The Lancet about uh, near-death experiences. And he found that, that around 10% of people uh, who are resuscitated report having had an NDE. Now, the interesting thing, if you look at, for example, at, um, at, and I'm not comparing in any way an NDE to a dream, but I'm just defining something about memory here. If you, in sleep labs, you find that, that people actually have many, many dreams during a night's sleep, uh, but most of them you don't remember. Now, I use this as part of the, my, um, argument for if there is such a thing as reincarnation uh, I mentioned in the book if there is such a thing as reincarnation that one of the potential reasons why we don't remember our past lives that you remember a dream if you're woken during it um, and you don't remember the other dreams and the the past lives that people remember clearly are usually ones where they had a sudden unexpected or violent death and then they remember it just like we remember a dream when we're woken from it and i think perhaps maybe maybe we all have ndes when when we die or des if you like death experiences but that the only 10% of people that's the proportion who have both who have remembered it and then reported it Right. I mean, in in many cases, we're only now learning about NDEs because of uh, resuscitation techniques. Absolutely right. Yeah. And and uh, and people that that may have an NDE on the the operating table, for example, they're they're under the influence of anesthesia, and that impairs the memory certainly. Well, um, as I say, often the NDEs happen during during cardiac arrest, where the brain waves have been completely flat and where people don't have any chemicals in their system that would make them uh, hallucinate and so on and and uh, the the that's how it differs from a sort of delirium or, or hallucination and in fact as I say many of them are veridical experiences so they see things that they couldn't physically have have known about through their senses during the NDE including blind people seeing things Right. And then, of course, people that come back often report hearing a voice or just knowing that they're being sent back because it wasn't their time. What's happening there, do you think? Well, I, I suspect that, you know, they, if the, 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 it's interesting that the, um, the Hindus and Buddhists have the notion of karma. And in fact, I think that Jesus may have been referring to this notion as well. If, if, if you like cause and effect, that with the parable of the, the man who refused to forgive his servant, that he ended up having to go to, to prison, uh, himself, that that's a, an analogy that if you don't forgive, that if you allow harm to stay in you, to distort you, then you may need to, uh, to put that right with the person, uh, and and so it, it may be that that people have have more to do in their lives. Maybe that that through what we do to each other, if it's negative, that if we're to be able to be to unite to become free and undo our restriction, maybe our restrictions have are in that sense connected to the harm we have done to others, and that we then have a chance to put right if we if we come back and meet that person again. All right, uh, time to take uh, another time out, and we'll come back. A few segments remain with Dr. Andrew Silverman, the author of A Burst of Conscious Light, Near-Death Experiences, The Shroud of Turin, and the Limitless Potential of Humanity. 
Keep it right where you have it on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stand by for more. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. A burst of conscious light near death experiences the Shroud of Turin and the limitless potential of humanity is the book Dr. Andrew Silverman joins us. I want to continue to talk about the near death experience for a few moments yet. Some people don't see the light. There have been reports from some people, they get a glimpse of what they might describe as hell. How does that relate, do you think, to the light? Well, I mean, I suppose, again, of course I'm speculating here, but it may be that their psychology is not looking at that light. It's looking away from it through how they're living their lives. And many of the people who who describe seeing darkness instead, uh, that when they they are resuscitated they totally change their their outlook afterwards because then they 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 realize that that there is consequence and they realize that that, that although they glimpse a, a darkness it sort of implies to them that there must be an opposite to it and and they become much more empathetic compassionate caring people and just completely a lot of people's lives completely change after that from from both experiences from the the light or the dark when when we go into the light, when we die, mm. uh, do we retain our our individual uh, consciousness, or do we just become part of one? Are we are we do we still have a sense of me, I? Mm. I believe that our our identity, our our consciousness. It's an excellent question. Again, I believe that that is is eternal. Now, it can be eternal in separation, which is, means that we have a, a fingerprint, if you like, a pattern of shadow in that light that demarcates us as us. But if you take away that shadow, then you don't lose your identity. You're actually regaining it. Just as you know, um, when you, you love and care for, for other human beings, that they, it's, it's as though they're, they're part of you, then in that sense that you would still be you would still be you, but you would become the all. So you wouldn't be extinguishing yourself by becoming free of shadow and becoming purely the light. You would just be immensely and infinitely enhancing your your wisdom, your experience, and your the joy of of being being the all and and, and that sense that people have of, of that they're happy because they are they are loved. Well, in that sense, you you actually become love if you become the light and and what do we what do we then do what is our i mean how for example does reincarnation fit into this into this model well i believe yes i i believe that reincarnation which incidentally there's evidence for it having been uh alluded to in all the world's major religions and for example um although uh i mean in just take uh in jesus's time before before his 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 words were were sort of um, before before religions were formed based on his words, if you like, that, um, that that he was when he was asking his apostles, who do people say that I am, and um, 
they said, well, some say that you're that maybe the Messiah. Others say that that you can't be because before the Messiah comes, Elias or Elijah um, must return. And and he said uh, he's quoted to have said, I tell you, he has already returned and you didn't recognize him. And and then the text says that they understood that he was talking about John the Baptist. Now, how could if there's no such thing as reincarnation, how did Elias return as John the Baptist? Surely he's actually <laughs> stating there now in, in, in black and white, if we're to, to think that maybe that those were his actual words or, and were what they said, that, that, they're, that his apostles whom he had taught were considering that as a, as a possible option for how Elias might have returned as another person. In other words, reincarnation had, had happened. So I think reincarnation is, is there if, if we still have restrictions and limitations, then it's our chance to be able to, to put it right, not through being judged or, or told off or, or punished. But in a sense, the experience that people have in their death experiences is that they are their own judge, that they're the ones who feel that what they did was wrong. And now they want to try to, to try to put it right. Um, and then once we go into the light, uh, for eternity. What is our purpose then? Yes, I think the, the, um, the, the, when we think of, of eternity, it, we're thinking of a very, very long time, like as if, um, you know, uh, I'm sitting looking at a wall and I'm going to be looking at that wall for a year, a thousand, a million, a billion, but it, that's, that's in, in temporal terms that, that this is this is beyond time. So then, it's actually uh, total bliss, total wisdom, if you like. And it, it, its its purpose is, of course, we we make value judgments for for purpose. So um, so people may um, may choose to that they're, they're not interested in 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 eternal existence. They just like. Um, physical things and so that's the purpose for them it's just uh really it's it's that's the thing about about free will is that ultimately we decide what we consider our our purpose to to be but if our purpose is something that that limits us then then we're going to we're going to stay limited but if we were to undo that limit then our, all of our experience would be would be enhanced. As I say, we wouldn't be extinguished in becoming the light. We would actually be fulfilling our identity rather than rather than sort of di- dissolving it into a into a into a you know meaningless meaningless sea. We would still be you would still be conscious and experiencing that. All right, we'll take one final time out. Come back and finish up with Dr. Andrew Silverman. A burst of conscious light right here on the Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. In terms of our limitless potential as humans, does that mean that once someone becomes, I guess the term is uh, self-actualized, or someone like, say for example, a Mother Teresa, or I don't know, Mahatma Gandhi, or 
people that live out very saintly lives and so forth, why wouldn't they also demonstrate the same sort of traits as Jesus at his physical death? In other words, this burst of radiant energy. Yeah, you see, the interesting thing is that the burst of radiant energy didn't happen at his death. It happened at some time after it. Ah, right. And yeah, but he, the the fascinating thing is that that there was also reported to have been uh, a, a burst of burst of light from him while he was alive. And of course, uh, many other people throughout history have been described as as being as though they were radiant. That people had a could see could see light around them, like people like the Buddha and so on. So he may not have been the the only one, and it may just be be uh, to do with the extent that he that he did that he achieved that completely and showed that it was possible the full extent of of, uh, of human achievement that we could that we could uh, achieve that completely of course i'm not in a position to to um to to judge any of those those wonderful people that you've you've mentioned and know to what extent they did or didn't achieve that and maybe maybe there are other people who have who have you know there has been a, a, a this burst of light phenomenon, but we, it's, it is something that that it seems that that we all experience at least at the at the point of death in the in the near death experiences. So to me, the point isn't so much about whether our body physically shines. The point is whether we can undo the restriction in the in the mind that 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 has the shadow that. That divides us through selfishness, materialism, racism—all the things that, that that divide our man from his fellow man and woman, of course. Right, right, and of course, after his uh, resurrection, according to the gospel account, I mean, he was physically resurrected. He 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 continued to walk the earth, and he continued to meet with his disciples. Uh, yes. is that also within human potential? I, I, I believe it is, but it, I don't. I think that that his particular um, sort of lifetime and, and what and that happening. I don't think that that means that that anyone who who achieves what he achieves would necessarily need to to resurrect a body. But perhaps he still had, uh, you know, was able to to wanted to come back and and help the the people around him and had the had the potential to do that. I don't think that that there's there's one fixed path that, that 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 everyone has to has to follow. Except the the key point to me in terms of what he said, what he taught, and and how he lived was, as I say, that if you you see everything in terms of two simple directives, either you separate and divide, in which case in, everything breaks down in this physical universe, everything rots, as like he said, moths and rust and thieves and so on. But there's another world where there is no breaking down, no, what we call, no in physics is the second law of thermodynamics, which is what makes everything, everything break down. That through, through uniting, through caring, that we can undo that and, and achieve eternity. And that's something that we can't do technologically. So that's why we could never upload ourselves into into machines uh jesus of course was reported to have performed miracles or what now appear to us as as miracles um do you think for example that we have the potential uh limitless potential of humanity would that include 
resurrecting, raising the dead, or walking on water, or you know, well, Peter walked on the water. The apostles um, sort of did did many acts themselves, and and he actually. He himself uh, is reported to have gone on the record to say everything that he did, we would also be able to do. So that everything you see me do, you can do also, and greater than these things can can you do? I think it's uh, somewhere in in the, the Gospel of of, of John. Um, so, but I don't think that's the point. I don't think it's about spectacle or being able to. As I say, every time we use our free will. That is mind over matter. You don't have to be turning water into wine for it to be mind over matter. So it's just rather than uh, sort of uh, 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 sort of trying to find. Uh, I don't think he was about sort of uh, giving us a, 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 a book of magic spells to make to make spectacular things happen. But they were an incidental product. And, and only incidental and weren't what he was about, but they happened simply uh, because of how much how much he cared. So I think that you know the fact that that the, the if the loaves and the fishes multiplied, that's because he cared so much about the 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 people being being hungry and 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 that 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 was powerful enough to to make that happen. But that caring is you know someone who. Um, who who um, gives food to someone who's hungry is doing the same thing, even if they haven't made, they may be doing the same thing without actually having physically, you know, manifested out of the air that a loaf appears. You could go into a shop and buy it. And it's, it's about the, the compassion and kindness with which you do that rather than, than, than whether it, um, whether you're, you're, you know, making, uh, Things that people can call miracles, which to me, it, it's sort of it's sort of missing the point, really. Of, I think of, of 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 what he was about. That he he wasn't trying to to do spectacular things. He was just. If you look at every single one of these acts that he did, they were all out of compassion because he cared about someone. That someone had a leprosy or something, and so he helped them not be suffering from that condition because he cared. And that's that's to me is is the important take home message from from what what from his message that as far as obviously i i can i uh, have no uh better position to to say what his message was than any other human being but but this is my personal interpretation of what he was saying what do you think it will take for humanity to reach this limitless potential i mean is it up to each individual separately or could there be some you know some people talk about some cosmic event that's going to elevate human consciousness and so forth. What do you think? I um, I think Mahatma Gandhi put it very well when he said, be the change that you want to see in the world. I think each of us are the authors of our own destiny and, and we are the ones who who can decide what we will do. We can't control what, what anyone else does and no one can control how we feel and what decisions we make. So um, I, I don't think there's an automatic process that will enhance our, our, our spirituality or our, our depth. In fact, the, the, the automatic, if you like, process, the natural way in a physical universe is that things go the other way, is that they get worse, not better. And, and but, but through recognizing why it might be uh, reasonable to go the opposite way to the physical universe to care rather than to to divide then each of us can make that happen and and then maybe just as people were inspired by seeing what he did um then people will people are inspired by 
you know, other people like Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi and uh, you mentioned Mother Teresa and, and, you know, people are inspired by how those people lived and then maybe it leads them to 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 live in a slightly different way but they're not actually getting inside other people's minds and making them better people if you like if there is such a thing uh dr silverman once again how do people get a copy of a burst of conscious light it should be available in all major bookstores it's also available from the publishers in traditions or the distributors simon and schuster or from amazon a delight uh, speaking with you again dr silverman thank you so much it's a great pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. My thanks to Owen and Carlos and Ryan. And back with a brand new program next week. Hope you can tag along. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. And what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the rooftops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Good night.